Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out new patrons, Matt, Carol, Justin, and Tav for helping make How Not to DM possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number two, dm. And now, let's get to the guest intro. Tim Roven is the one-man band behind Tabletop Audio, a website dedicated to 10-minute ambience tracks for use in your games or anything else you can think of. Tim has been working on Tabletop Audio for years, writes all the music, and even taught himself to code to create the website. Tim churns out a new awesome ambiance every week, ranging from classic fantasy to modern to futuristic and everything in between. Enjoy! My name's Tim Roven. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I am a child of the 80s, and I got into role-playing games. Uh, my brother, actually, my younger brother, started reading like role-playing game magazines and got the, I believe it was the white box or the red box way back in like 83, 84, 5, something like that. And was just like came into my room and was like, hey, check this out. You know, there's this game. And I'm like, uh, you know, kind of cool. And I saw the dice and I saw and it came with a couple of miniatures or maybe he bought the miniatures. And we spent, you know, stayed up all night rolling characters, making, you know, graph paper dungeons. I'm not entirely sure we ever actually got around to playing the game, but we were really into building lists and shopping and like outfitting characters and everything like everything that went around the game and then we talked about how how we would play the game if we ever you know but um yeah that's how that's that's how it happened and then later on i was in a group in high school that did some you know one-off uh games and i at that point i had already bought myself a copy of the monster manual and dungeon master's handbook and I was not aware of any other role-playing games at the time. It was all just D&D. And then 20-plus years went by, and I had kids. And when they were about four or five, I was like, you know what would be really cool would be to sort of engage them in, you know, in some kind of role-playing game. So then I was like, okay, let's see what's out there. And at the time, it was the um, 4E had, had just been released. So I, I went and bought the, the, the starter box. And we started our first baby steps into uh, into role playing game as a family. Yeah, starting them young. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so is that kind of when you started uh, running games? Then I guess uh, with your high school group, you were probably just a player. And then once you bought the box, you're like, all right, I got to start learning how to to run this for my kids. Absolutely, absolutely. I was at square one. And those boxes, they're really well done. They really, they kind of handhold you through the, through the early stages and tell you, tell you what to do. But, you know, to be fair, like nothing prepares you for, for dungeon mastering for, for young children. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, that was a challenge. 
and one that I, I failed at over and over again. I've had a couple of guests who specifically run games for younger groups like kids and in school and that kind of thing. And you think of a typical game of a TTRPG people play from, you know, two to like five hours sometimes depending on and kids don't have that kind of attention span. Right. I, I learned these things yeah. very well, I actually learned them quite slowly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Making the same mistake over and over again. What's the, the definition of, of insanity? I that segues really nicely into the question I love asking all of my guests, which is uh, the mistakes that you made while running games. So you have alluded to a few of them, just not adapting as well as you could at the beginning to the group you're running the game for. But what what are some other things you feel like you've done in the past that other people might be able to learn from? Oh, well, you know, I mean, just as a caveat, everything I everything I'm going to tell you about is is in is in regard to you know playing with with young kids because that's that's all i i really know but i would say the number one mistake that i made over and over again was caring about the rules to an extent that i was like hold on hold on everybody i'm gonna just check the book for a little while and then it's just like it's the worst scenario so the kids are just like staring at you as you read and then you can't find it and then you start to sweat they're flipping the pages back and you're like, oh, they're, they're noticing it. I'm losing them. I'm losing them. And then it's just, it spirals out of control. So yeah, I, you just get really used to kind of, I don't know the answer to that question and you hand wave it and you just, you keep the, you keep the story going, you keep them entertained and make a little note to yourself and go look it up later to, you know, but they, they do not care. They want to like stab stuff and cause mayhem. Yeah. I think we'd both be surprised by how many adult groups suffer from the same issue, right? Of uh, you start looking up a rule and then everyone's on their phone or, you know, whatever it might be. So it's advice for all ages. Noted. (laughs) What are some of your favorite memories of games that you have run? It could be improv, combat, role play. And what are some lessons that other people could take from the good moments that you remember? Yeah, so you know, once once I sort of figured out that rules were very loose framework for our particular purposes, I think the my favorite moments have to be when the kids realized that they had agency, they had they had control of their actions and their situations. And so you would put them in a situation and, you know, any situation and they would start like they would look at you like, what's the correct thing to do? And then as they start to, and then you, you prompt them a little bit, like, well, what if you, you know, you could, you could maybe think about not doing that and maybe say something else, or maybe you could look around you and see what's, what's near you and use something there. And they go, well, what's around me? And all of a sudden they're like, you see their eyes start to, to widen as they get, as they're like, wait a minute, I can, I'm in control here, which is a weird thing for, for a kid because they're always everything they do is you know they're looking at you for 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 support for for encouragement you know and you're just like no 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 it's all you so that's awesome that was really that was fun we used to do a game um we spent a lot of you know and we live in new york city so we spent a lot of time on subway platforms and we had a game uh that i called what would you do if which was like the smallest most micro role playing game of all time and it was just a single question usually based on like our surroundings, like there's a guy sitting next, you know, three seats from us on the platform. And, you know, I'll make up a little scenario, like what's in his bag, you know, is he human? 
Is he some, you know, something like that. And then we would have these little tiny scenarios that would last for the, for the course of the trip. And there was no like rolling or anything like they would just play it. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of one, uh, another one of my guests who they would play this game while they were on long car trips with all of their siblings, you know, they just kind of imagine scenarios and then play them out exactly like that. So yeah, it's, it really is the most base form I think of, of RPGs like you described. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think at the, at the, at the core, it's, it's simply collaborative storytelling. So, so the framework is, is nice and you can use as much or as little of it as you want, as long as you are telling stories together and entertaining yourself. So, in those early years, were there specific examples of people who you looked to, like maybe people creating content on the internet or books, or were there specific tools and resources that you leaned on heavily to help run your games? I had been so out of the scene for so long that I wasn't really aware. I thought the wet erase mat and wet erase markers was absolutely genius and changed everything. I was like, wait a minute. So because I, I, I grew up with, you know, pen, you know, pencil and, and graph paper and everything. So um, when I was looking, I was looking for ways to sort of engage my kids. Um, and I'll get, you know, we'll get into like why I started tabletop audio as a as sort of an offshoot from that. But the idea of so it had to be miniatures, I wanted them to have miniatures and like, this is your guy and I would hand them, you know, your, your rogue miniature, or your wizard miniature. Um, and then I, I definitely I thought about theater of the mind, but I thought maybe um, maybe placing them in some kind of context. So I, I used the, the wet erase maps, and we would and I would just you know draw these terrible uh, shapes and things like your your dude is here, and I would draw you know like a terrible thing over here, and 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 now we can just talk about it, and we can all focus on on something. I guess a few different dice and maps and uh, markers, index cards. It was pretty low tech. Honestly, I love the dry erase. That's what I use. You know, it's like you said, I draw lots of bad trees and buildings and stuff and and everyone just gets used to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. You mentioned tabletop audio there. Let's kind of transition into what tabletop audio is. So yeah, tell everybody what tabletop audio is and then where you got the idea and kind of the genesis of it into its current form today. Tabletop Audio is is a website, tabletopaudio.com. I have two sections of it. One is the sort of ambiences, which are all 10-minute 10 10 minute ambiences. And they, they usually contain a combination of sound effects, background sound effects, location sounds, plus music. And sometimes uh-huh. it's minimal music, you know, just tones just to kind of help the mood. And sometimes it's very music-forward, orchestral, you know, depending on the style of track that I'm writing. And then the other side... The, so the idea of it was I wanted something that was really fire and forget, like nothing too complicated. As a dungeon master myself, I would be overwhelmed instantly with more than like two things to look at. So I didn't want somebody, you know, poking a lot of them. So it's just like push play. You're in a cave, you know, push the cave uh, ambience button. And now you've got 10 minutes and it'll just loop for you. About six months after that, I, I went completely 180 on my decision and created basically a soundboard. Um, software called SoundPad, which was multiple different buttons to push, and you can create scenes and combinations of buttons and save them. And I made that because people were asking for it, and it wasn't something that I could see myself using, but I wasn't the use case for that. But anyway, so I so 
basically both of those things. They're sound aids for dungeon masters or storytellers and writers and anybody else who wants to get out of their headspace and enter some other, you know, fantasy realm. I hear runners and weightlifters use it and writers and teachers and lots of school teachers use it. How did you get the idea for it? Was it like you playing with your sons and thinking it would be nice to have some ambiance or, you know, talk us through that. So I was playing with my kids and I thought, you know, what would be great is if I had some kind of ambient audio that that helped sort of set the scene that made them more engaged. And I just started making, I don't know, I had I had a bunch of projects and music projects that I had, you know, that clients didn't accept or whatever. And I just had a bunch of like work in progress things. And it's like, I'll just whip a couple of those into, into sort of shape and then, and then put some, you know, sound effects behind them. And they were, they were really into it. And then I had about a dozen and I thought, let's put these on a website and see if anybody's into it. So I posted it on some, I think I posted it on the RPG subreddit on Reddit. And people were like, Hey, this is great. Make more. So I was like, well, okay. And then it kind of, it kind of blew up from there. And people were really into it. And over the next few years, my, you know, my kids basically got too cool to play with me anymore. And all of a sudden, I'm still doing this. And now it's like my full time <laughs> job. <laughs> so everything I was just at, at every step, I just stumbled more and more into into this. So your background then is a professional musician and a professional producer. Yeah. Yes, I was already doing this. So I had the I had the studio. I had the I had the I did a lot of corporate work, commercial work. It was a very slow transition, and now I still do some of that stuff, but mostly it's like I'm I'm doing game work, uh-huh. which is more fun for me, much more fun than than doing like animated pie chart music. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot more evocative as well. I have a couple of specific questions uh, that I'm thinking of here on the fly. Uh, how long do you spend on one of the 10-minute loop ambiances? And how often are you releasing these, just so people kind of get an idea about how much work goes into it? I release them once a week, and usually on, a, on Wednesdays. It's always two days in terms of time sitting at the studio. Like I, I, I never let myself mix uh, on the days that I'm writing. So I, like, I rest the ears, and I come back, and you know, like every all the studios do this. Like, they're like, you hear what you did the day before and you're like, oh my God, that's, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and, then, and then you fix all that stuff because when you're writing it, you're focused on, on, inst- on single instruments, single frequencies and everything. And you're never, you're never in the big picture. thing. So it's always two days. I would say, depending on, on, the, on the sort of density of the arrangements, it can take three to four days. And that's if, I, if the planets are aligned and I'm feeling creative. Um, you know, there are days where I just, I sit down and I produce absolute garbage and, and no one ever, th- thankfully, no one ever he- hears it. I save you from that. But yeah, there's just days where I'm like, nothing's happening. Nothing is, nothing coming out of me is good. And then I have to start from scratch. And then there are days, which are unfortunately few and far between, where just everything is hitting and I'm just ruling from, from morning till afternoon. And I've got like almost a complete track done. Yeah. Feast or famine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think most creatives have very similar experiences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's so in answer to your question, there's a range. I would say two to four days. Yeah. Okay. And the ideas for these tracks, I know. I think you're currently on your Patreon. You have a place where people can submit ideas, but. 
kind of at the beginning and then as you were building up to it, where did you get the ideas for tracks? Was it mostly stuff you needed for your game or was it, hey, I haven't done something like this yet? So, uh, yeah, many, many ways. Um, I have a I have a notebook that's, you know, sits next to my TV. So I'll be watching a TV series or movie or something. I'll see a little I see a scenario and I'm like, oh, that, that's a great thing. I love that sound or I'll hear a sound or something or, or they'll go or the characters will go into a place. Um, so tons from movies. Obviously, there's a lot of like I buy I buy um, RPG books and I'll read like through scenarios and see what's going on. Like I've done like Curse of Strahd-ish type things. Um, so I'll look through there and I'll say, oh, that's that's great. You know, that little, you know, ornate throne room would be would be very cool. Um, you know, windy bluff at the top of the castle, things like that. So ripped from scenarios in, in role playing games, movies. And then to a certain extent, it's funny, I do get a lot of requests, but often people, you know, want something so specific. And specifics don't don't tend to work. I, I, I would much rather do something more general, you know, so like even though this is the title of the piece, and I'm always telling people, don't ignore my titles. Use them for whatever you want. I gotta call them something, but just use it for however you like. Um, but people will say something like, uh, you know, they'll make they'll write a description and then they'll say something like, and this happens. And I'm like, well, that's so when does that happen? It's a 10 minutes, you know, you, you, that's what a sound pad is for. You, then you can push the button when that happens. So, yeah, I just I get I get ideas from everywhere. And then I do a lot of field recording myself. So I'll just be, you know, walking in the woods in winter with my recorder. And, and if it's a great recording, I'm like, that's got to go into something. So here's a winter woods track, you know. Oh, I, I didn't know you actually recorded some of yourself, too. That's really cool. Yeah, I do. Well, I do Foley in the studio. Um, and uh, and do field recording, and then of course you know library sounds and everything. Yeah, right. Yeah, that that's funny that you mentioned like don't worry about the names. It's there's I, I am a religious uh, tabletop audio user, and recently my party has traveled to a large gnome city built in the side of a cliff, and it's run on these giant windmills as the as the wind kind of flows up through these huge fans that run the whole city. And I'm kind of like looking around for sounds and I just settled on the arcane clockworks because it's like, eh, you know what? It's like clockwork sounds all sure. around. It doesn't have to be like specifically Windy Cliff with with like gears in the back, you know, find something that matches closely. And yeah, it's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. It's really great for me because if people are spe- if my party's spending a lot of time in specific locations, you know, I can save all of the different tracks that I want. You create a little playlist. Like you said, there's an option to loop each of these 10 mm-hmm. minute clips and because they're 10 minutes, it's not a lot of repetitive noise. Like if you sit there and listen to it long enough, you can say, oh, yeah, there's the same part over and over mm-hmm. again. But as ambiance goes, it's fantastic and just so easy to use. And I've looked at a few other options. There's some websites where you can like select all of the different sounds that you want occurring and their volumes and stuff. But that just is so much admin to me. And then there's other sites, but it requires, you know, subscriptions or a lot of other kind of setup. And so it's to me, it's just like the easiest and most streamlined way to instantly transport all of us at the table to somewhere else. And so that's that's part of why I love it so much. That's that. Thank you. That's nice to hear. I, I really wanted to to make it as frictionless a an experience as possible like you're you get to the site and you're playing a sound within five seconds yep and i i made the you know 
questionable decision at the beginning to not um, to not have advertising and figure out, you know. But I was like, oh, you know, nothing bums me out more than than a site that's just full of advertising. And the other thing was, or I realized later on, is like RPG tabletop RPG people are are for the most part really smart and technically savvy. And the likelihood of them running ad blockers on their browsers is like nearing a hundred percent anyway. Like, so let's just <laughs> let's just skip that that little charade. And honestly, the reason why I, when I started, I started like I said, I looked at a few other sites, but I started just doing YouTube videos, and then I would find a YouTube video looper, and I'd loop the YouTube videos, but ads like if it just starts playing an ad in the middle of your game it's the worst yeah that's terrible it will take your whole well-crafted story and just out the window and now a quick word from some of our awesome sponsors need a fresh new look for the new year head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees mugs and home goods styled with DD gamer humor and aesthetics as always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at GemmedFirefly.com. Check out the episode notes for the link and that code. Also, a new actual play stream. The planet is dead, but its danger is very much alive. Follow along with the crew of the Solus as they face the perils of space in Dead Planet a Mothership RPG actual play. Premiering February 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Live on twitch.tv slash toddmoonbounce. And lastly, Chamomile presents Ornyat's Guide to Dragons. This sourcebook has got playable dragons and half-dragons, rules for aerial combat and fighting kaiju, a bunch of new abilities for all 15 chromatic dragon fights from young to ancient, and more. Kickstarting January 16th to 31st, and available from DriveThruRPG and Itch.io starting in March. Check out the episode notes for links. Now, let's get back to the show. As far as your experience thus far, what have been some of the more difficult parts about running tabletop audio, and then what have been the more rewarding parts? Most of it is coded by me, and I'm I'm the world's worst you know, software coder. I had, I have sort of taught myself everything that requ- is required to to do the things on the site. And there's a couple of uh, situations where I needed some help, and I had to send my code to to somebody, and it was just it was horribly embarrassing. They're just like, "What's going on here?" And I was making all these apologies, and they were like, "Yeah, even though even though I heard your apologies, I wasn't prepared for just the disaster of you know, I've I've broken all the rules." And my main thing was like, look, if it's working and if it seems to work across the board and everybody's, which it, you know, knock on wood, then I just move on. I, I realize that when I have to go fix something, reading my own, my, my own code, you know, there's a reason design patterns and software exist and everything. And, and now I know why, because gosh, it's just like, a, it's a mess, but I've gotten a hold of it somewhat and I've fixed it over the years but that that's that's been a real challenge to me and people ask me to do something and I'm like I don't know how to do that I, I just don't know and then eventually I, I you know hopefully I learn how to do it but I'm both equal parts proud of myself and totally embarrassed if that makes sense it does yeah and <laughs> as a person who writes a little bit of code for my own job I know exactly how you feel 
even using correct design principles, if you read something you wrote a few months ago, you just sit there and you go, I, I have no idea what I was doing yeah. here. So yeah. yeah, it happens to everybody. <laughs> I write full paragraphs to myself in the comments, you know, yeah. it's like, here's what happens. If it doesn't work, try this, you know, that's terrible. That's smart. <laughs> that's very smart. Yeah. What about rewarding stuff? Um, rewarding is, is absolutely, um, interactions with people. And I've had, I've had so many emails from teachers. I had a great scenario where like a, a teacher, a middle school teacher in Wisconsin was trying to use it, use the site for her class and, and something wasn't working properly. And it was, no one else had had this, had this issue. This is actually a, a sort of a side, but, and I, and I got a, an email once from a that week from another person who was having the exact same issue. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's the same issue that this person is having. Maybe it's location. Dis-. You know, he's like, I was like, where are you? And he's like, well, I'm at um, McMurdo research station in Antarctica. And I'm like, what? Well, I was like, wow. A, a what? <laughs> that's cool. And B, yeah. what about these two things is the same. And I don't even remember what it was the same, but somehow we triangulated the issue to being a, a, a separate thing, but it was like this. And, you know, and then I told the story to the teacher who then told the story to her classroom and everything. So back to your original question, teachers, a lot of teachers write, uh, write me and say like, this was great. My, I gave my kids a writing assignment and they just, it was just blank faces. And then I was like, listen to one of these and then do it again. And all of a sudden words are flowing. And that's really the whole point of this was just like create, an environment where ideas and words flow more easily. To that point, writers uh, also have emailed me. I've had a dad who had an autistic child who was having lots and lots of trouble sleeping, who discovered the site, and all of a sudden it's like, it's not that he sleeps, but he's like calm. He can listen to these different environments and he always wants to like listen to stuff at dinner. And he's like, I just want to let you know that, that this is the only thing that's helped. And, you know, um, and it's just, it's gratifying to know that you're you, this something that you did is affecting people in a, in a positive way. It's just nice. Yeah, definitely. And pretty cool that you can say that tabletop audio has been played on all seven continents probably. Right. I think so. Yeah. Including Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> Including Antarctica. So I've listened to a lot of different podcasts who would use your sound effects. The one that sticks out of my mind because they were one of the first ones I really enjoyed was uh, the Dungeon Dudes and the Dungeons of Drakenheim. They use a few of those. I actually did the, uh, their, I did their intro music. Right. And in fact, I remember finding it one time and I was like, hey, this is that same track. Like, Anyway, it was it was kind of fun. Yeah, they they hired me. They hired me to do that. That was really fun. fun okay, so so they hired you specifically for that. That's awesome. What is it like to hear your work being used on really cool productions like theirs and others? It's gratifying. Again, it's like I get distracted by it. If I'm listening to something and I hear something I've done, I all I've, I just get into technical mode. I'm like, oh, I could have be better. I I should have done something different there. You know, I don't know. I should be happy, but it's just, I, I, I find myself being overly critical. Again, I think a lot of creators understand that exact scenario. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty typical. Yeah. Another example of stuff that, or, you know, projects you've helped work on is uh, Rowan Rook and Descartes game Spire and Heart. And all of the tracks can actually be found on Tabletop Audio. So what was it like making right. tracks for a specific game like that? 
And uh, was it kind of more difficult or easier when they gave you specific locations and scenarios? It's great. I, I worked with Grant uh, Howard on both of those. And he he contacted me. And I had actually played um, one of uh, Goblin Quest, one of his earlier games with my kids. So it was kind of fun to hear from him. And he's he's kind of madcap in, in the in the best possible way. And so when he was like, what do you need from me? And I said, well, you know, I just, what, anything that you can give me descript to help me sort of, you know, see what you want to do. So he gave me art, he gave me hilarious, you know, descriptions, a full creative brief. And I love, I love it's being collaborative is awesome. And I don't get to do it nearly enough. Like most of the work I do is the, the, the genesis of the idea, idea to production of the idea and eventual sign off is all me. So being able to do it in, in sort of a, a larger context is great because you get ideas that, that I wouldn't have had these ideas. I mean, he had a thing called the, you know, the meat corridor on, on one of his, I think, uh, heart, which is like a, a living, breathing, oozing, dis- absolutely disgusting environment that he went to, with, to great detail to describe to me. It was so much fun to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really enjoy doing, doing projects on other people's games because I get to sort of translate what they want to do into into sound or you know take you know great art i just finished a game for um starforged the uh which is the iron sworn space space game by ian Tompkins, and he gave me these um i got to work with this great artist josh Meehan, who uh just creates these incredible images like as soon as i see the images and i read the descriptions of the of the of the content the sounds it's just happening in my head and i'm just like oh, i got to get these things down so that that's that's really fun i really enjoy stuff like that any other games you've worked on or commissions you're particularly proud of way back in the beginning i worked on a game called fragged empire which is uh, an australian designer i just finished a game called a, a, a solo journaling rpg called apothecaria uh, by Anna Blackwell, which was a lot of fun. Again, she had great descriptions and great artwork, and these things just kind of, you know, happened. I did official tracks for Legacy, Life in the Ruins, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Got a video game called Skeleton Crew coming out, which I did the environmental sound design for the levels. It's kind of like a 2D, it's like a comedy 2D horror platformer. Um, I haven't played it, but I've seen the videos and things like that. So, um, and then you know, more stuff happening in the in the future. I think if you had to choose a favorite ambiance or or track that you've worked on that you're most proud of, the one that that sticks out above the rest, do you have one? It's almost always the last thing I did, and then it becomes quickly the thing that I'm the most displeased with and the thing that I have to hurry up and make a new one because what if I you know died and that's the last thing I made I'm sorry that sounds very macabre but it's 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 actually kind of true I I mean I just think this is a a very typical thing for creators just to you know love their children hate their children their children being their creative output obviously not not, I love I love my actual children mostly Something to note or to, to add is that you've done sounds and, and ambiances and that kind of thing for all sorts of different settings, not necessarily just fantasy, right? You've got sci-fi stuff, you've got modern day stuff, you've got kind of a century ago, like 
yeah, historical. Yeah, historical. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, they're they're categories on the site. Yeah, you can click the genre categories on the site, and they're they're pretty loosely organized, and some of them are in multiple genres. And it's funny, you know, I have to. Everybody who has their own favorites, and so like there are people out there who are like, look, don't bother with anything but fantasy. Just keep with the fantasy. And then the other, you know, and there's like the guys like, don't listen to the fantasy people. All we care about is sci-fi. And for me, I I deeply love all of those genres. So it's if, I I think if I were forced to do one, I I wouldn't nearly be nearly as happy. So it's great to be able to say, you know what? I've just done three or four fantasy tracks in a, in a row. Let's let's get us let's get some horror. You know what? Let's make a sci-fi horror. Which what I love about the job is because I get to kind of what am I going to do today? You know, type thing. Looking at the past eight. 12 tracks it's a very good mix of all of the different genres i think and like you said you've got so many different categories that you can kind of whittle down to you're bound to find something that that matches what you're looking for if people want to commission something from you what's the best way to get in contact and what kinds of projects do you feel like best suit your expertise i've done i've done lots of different things i've done I've done intro, like podcasts, where you know, intro, outros for podcasts. I've done theater sound. I've done a half a dozen escape rooms, you know. So it's like people will, you know, various, you know, escape room companies will contact me, and and I'll do like the sound design for their rooms, and that's that's really fun. And I've done audio books, and and then tons of role playing games. A lot of people will do Kickstarters and I will be a stretch goal. And so like, you know, get to a certain amount. Tabletop audio will do, you know, X number of tracks. So it's more about the, it's not the type of project. It's like, like, does it seem like a fun project? Does it seem like something that I could add to? If I feel like there's a, I can add something of benefit or, you know, if the art's great or the writing's great, or I just want to be involved in it, or the people are great. Then I'll then I'll do it. And the best way to get in touch with you about those opportunities? Oh, just you know, email. It's uh, it's gm at tabletopaudio.com. and it's on the. You just go to tabletop audio, and there's a. Yes, it's in, it's in the about page somewhere buried in there. Yeah, or Twitter at tabletop audio. I'm on Twitter. I'm around. Yeah, I'll make sure to throw all of the relevant links at the bottom uh, in the episode notes. If people want to use existing sounds that you've already made as part of their stream or their podcast or something else, can they? And if so, what's the best way to work out that? Yeah, so all the all the ambiences are released under uh, Creative Commons uh, NC4 non-commercial 4.0. So basically, if you are streaming for not-for-profit, then you may absolutely use them with attribution, which is like, sound courtesy of tabletopaudio.com. So I have another thing on my site, which is so many people are monetizing their videos these days and they're all, they get hung up on, on the legalities. And I have a, my, my position is like, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. I have no interest in chasing people down. I just, you know, I, it's counter to the spirit with which I made this, which is like, I want you to use these sounds. If you are a commercial streamer, making x amount of money and you know then then i say you should we should talk about a licensing thing and the licensing amount is always up to that person based on their budget 
based on whatever metric that they decide. And it should be non-onerous. You know, I don't want to, you know, and I don't want to track them down. You know, the other thing is like, if you're monetizing your stream and you're making like enough money to pay for chips and Cokes at your game session, like I don't consider that profit just because you're monetizing it. So it's all about like, do you feel like you're making a profit on your game? If you're buying books, if you're paying for hosting, then you can absolutely use the sounds with attribution. And so there's on the site, I think, uh, I'm like, where is it? There's like a, can I use your audio in my podcast? And what if I monetize? So I, I, I'm basically reiterating all of this. But the point is that you, as the streamer, draw the line as like to where you decide you're being monet, you know, monetized. There's no number amount. Like you just decide. Like if you're paying yourself something, then then there should be some sort of licensing thing. Like if you're making money and using my content, and and it's great because people do do that. You know, there there's many podcasts out there, many um, streams. You know, and I get anywhere from not very much to a little of month. You know, money a month, and it's fine. Every time somebody asks me, I'm like, the, the short answer is yes, absolutely. You may use the sounds. The longer answer is, you know, if you're critical role or something, then yes, you should, you should license the sounds for me because you're making money on this podcast. But 90% of the, the, of the, the actual play podcasts, uh, or sorry, uh, you know, streams are, are making very little or just like, you know, pocket change, which is totally fine. Right. Mostly just for fun. What are your parting words of wisdom and encouragement to creators out there? And, and I'll split it into two groups. People who, who are running games, what, what are your kind of words of, of advice to them? And then people who are creating things, and it doesn't have to be music, but you know, seeing as that's kind of your realm of expertise, you know, if you have specific advice for those types of people, then in your years of working on this project and, and working in the TTRPG community, what, uh, what advice do you have for, for those kinds of people? I think absolutely serve the story is the most important thing and include your players. A lot of dungeon masters kind of want to just sort of write the game to be the entertainer, to be the, the head honcho. When you hear a really great group, I, I've, I've listened to a few actual play you know, podcasts over the years. And when you hear a great group, it is, it is absolutely the dynamic of the players and the, and the dungeon master. It's never a one-sided affair. And so your players will surprise you. You're going to plan out details of events that they're, they're just going to make a left turn and it's not going to happen. So be flexible, get your nose out of the book, just keep it going, figure out the rules later. That would be, you know, and that is entirely directed at myself. And if I ever get back to the table again, I will probably make those mistakes again. Um, and then I'll just repeat those to myself. For creatives, you know, I think the important thing is to, is to just, whatever your, whatever your art is, your writer, you're an artist, is to just do the stuff that you do. You don't need permission to do it. You don't need you don't need to be hired to do it. You don't need the gig. You know, I started tabletop audio because I I wanted to entertain my kids, but I also wanted to sort of this is this seemed like a more fun world to be in. And had I just sat around waiting for permission to 
do this or waiting to get gigs. I was just like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to start. And if you like it, you can, I don't know, you can join my Patreon and, and support me. And if not, I'm having a great time. It wouldn't be my main job otherwise, but I think I would probably still be doing it to a certain extent because it's, it's fun. You know, if you're, if I was an artist and I'm absolutely not, and I liked drawing, I would just draw all the time and put my stuff online and maybe I'm just going to resonate with somebody, you know, just get yourself out there. All right. Uh, so we talked about your website, tabletopaudio.com, and I'll link all of your socials and you can find a lot more information about what Tim does there. Uh, any other new projects or collaborations you're excited for as we are wrapping up here? Not that I can actually say yet. I think I, I'm not sure that they're officially NDAs, but I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the, the surprises. But yes, there are, there are, you will see Tabletop Audio official tracks for, for games soon. Awesome. To end on a cryptic note. Thanks so much for joining me, Tim. It's been a ton of fun to chat about it. Like I said, I'm a longtime user of, of the site and I love what it adds to my games personally. And so I know there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other people out there who, who enjoy the same. So we really appreciate all the work you've done. And yeah, thanks for taking some time to chat with us about it and give us a little window into your world. Thank you, Derek. This was fun. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Hamilton from Dragon's Duel. I got into the sort of books of D&D, which I then stuck with whilst I sort of moved away from the from the game and sort of like, I don't know, became a teenager and was all about rock and roll and smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so I don't know. That's what teenagers do, I guess. To hear about Hamilton's transition from punk kid to respectable adult with a 9 to 5, a family, and a really creative tabletop role-playing game show, tune in next episode. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get a chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your table. Also, Spotify has just added the rating feature for podcasts, so make sure to give How Not to DM 5 stars. Same goes for Apple Podcast users. Reviews help me find more ears. My new intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. Check out the episode notes for more of his work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.